0: Hello, and welcome to the ocean impact podcast. Our guest today is Rob Kaplan, who is the founder and CEO of circulate capital. Throughout plastic free July, 2020, we've been talking about the problem of plastic pollution and what are the solutions to this great ocean challenge. In this instance, Rob talks about the power of impact investment for good rob who is based in singapore has established the circulate capital ocean fund a 106 million us dollar fund designed to invest in innovative solutions to stem the tide of plastic pollution and encourage the circular economy i'm sure like me you'll find this you'll find this conversation with rob really enlightening and really eye-opening i hope as always you enjoy this episode and if you do please talk about us like it and share it around thanks for tuning in
1: Oh, Can take the ocean out of me.
0: Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast, where our guest today is Rob Kaplan, who is the founder and CEO of Circulate Capital, which he established to help deploy catalytic capital in partnership with leading corporations and investors to scale solutions that advance the circular economy and prevent the flow of plastic waste into the ocean in South and Southeast Asia. Very important. Rob leads the team at Circulate Capital as the firm identifies, incubates and invests in opportunities diverting waste from the environment into the recycling chain in South and Southeast Asian countries. Thank you so much for joining us, Rob. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's great to be here. Now, I always like to start our conversations on the podcast at the beginning, which is about you and uh, your passion for the environment and maybe even a glimpse into your relationship with the ocean.
2: Yeah, well, I, uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in the United States. I spent most of my life there. I, I lived all over the country. I, lived, I grew up in Massachusetts outside of Boston, um, then lived in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Arkansas, New York, and now I'm based here in Singapore.
0: Wow. So that's uh, quite a a roundabout way of finding yourself living in Singapore in South Asia. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing now and how that relates to your career leading up to this point in time. Yeah. Well, uh, Circulate Capital is an investment
2: management firm. We invest in companies, technologies, and projects that prevent plastic pollution. Uh, we um, have been around for a couple of years now, and the unique thing about our firm is that, and our fund, which is called the, uh, the Circulate Capital Ocean Fund, is that we've raised just over $100 million US from several large corporates, uh, PepsiCo, who was our first investor, Coca-Cola, Unilever, Chanel, Danone, Procter and Gamble, Dow, CP Chem. Um, And we're investing in those companies on their behalf to really help build their supply chains. Uh, And uh, we were inspired by some research that came from uh, the Ocean Conservancy that found that most of the plastic that gets into the ocean comes from just a handful of countries in South and Southeast Asia. And that if we invested in waste and recycling and the circular economy, we could cut that flow of plastic in half. Uh,
0: So, you know, this is where the work is and, and that's why we're here. Awesome, so tell us about how things are going to date since the the fund was established and the first investments that you've been able to make. Uh, so we officially opened for business about
2: a year ago, um, and we've now made two investments, uh, one in Indonesia, one in India, um, and we have about six others that are right behind it in um, uh, various stages of due diligence. but for the most part, what we're investing in is Um, startup and small, medium-sized enterprise, waste and recycling companies in these high plastic leaking countries. Um, We do consider ourselves full value chain investors. We'll look at anything that prevents plastic pollution, including innovative materials or uh, innovative business models that are based on reuse or um, returnable uh, that reduce the, uh, the need for single use plastic in the first place. But in terms of things that are ready to scale today, most of our pipeline is focused on those waste and recycling companies.
0: Awesome, now we've seen so much action on plastic pollution in this past decade, and particularly in the last three to four years. Uh, what is it about your model with Circulate Capital that that excites you and, uh, and, and gives you the, the belief that we can tackle this problem by, by using this particular approach? Yeah,
2: well, the uh, unique thing about this space right now and, and why I'm so attracted to this strategy is sort of the difference between a lowercase s sustainable and uppercase s sustainable. What I mean by that is we can't have achieve environmental sustainability without having business sustainability at the same time. And so where we've taken this approach of looking at businesses that are investable and scalable can generate in an IRR for its investors, we think we have the potential to unlock much more capital. So we recognize that it's gonna take much more than the $100 million we've been able to raise. It's gonna take many billions of dollars. And the only way we'll get access to that scale of capital is if institutional investors, um, sovereign wealth funds, uh, pension funds, large scale infrastructure funds, the, the folks that are financing the future of infrastructure across Asia, we need them to allocate capital to waste and recycling in the circular economy, just like they allocate capital today to things like bridges and ports and roads. Um, but unfortunately, right now, they're kind of sitting on the sidelines. And the only way to get them engaged is if we start to show that IRR, which is why we set this up as, a, as that uh, blended approach of both environmental impact and financial returns.
0: So you're able to launch the fund with the support of these large corporates. Uh, When do you forecast or foresee that those institutional investors uh, may join in the the pursuit of the fund and all the projects that you'll be supporting? So we actually
2: hold ourselves to a co-investment ratio. So for every dollar we deploy, we're looking to bring in another dollar from one of those institutional investors. And the, the challenge... The reality of it is that many of the companies we're investing in today have never had outside capital. they've never worked with an institutional investor before, and, and we circulate capital are the first the first ones engaging with them in this way. A lot of the work we're doing is helping them prepare for those larger amounts of capital investment from true institutional investors um, and that means you know a lot of work, uh, a lot of preparation, a lot of education. Um, but what we're hoping to do is by this first round of investments. Um, start to get them ready for a larger round, right And so while we're putting two to ten million dollars out there right now and we're hoping to co-invest, what we're really planning for is not this two to ten but in the next couple of years, help them raise thirty to fifty million to go to massive scale.
0: Great, so that would obviously mean then you're looking for very particular projects that do have that ability to scale. Maybe give us a bit of a, a rundown of what it looks like when you go into this landscape and you are seeking out these businesses to support how many are at that level where they really could do with your support versus what else is out there to enable those that aren't quite ready yet to grow in a sustainable way to, to actually come to you when they are at that point in time.
2: Yeah. I mean, in general, I'd say, maybe 10% of the companies, 15% of the companies we look at are getting to that stage and are ready for that kind of capital. And that means that 80 to 90% aren't. Uh, And it's something we recognize as a really big challenge. Uh, We uh, have actually invested some of our own money um, as well as that of our partners and brought in some other funders to create something called the incubation network um, that works with incubation programs across the region uh, that are already existing. Uh, but aren't really working in the sector and helping them build the ecosystem and build the field so that there can be an increase in that number of companies that of that 80 to 90 percent that are getting ready for investment and to accelerate that process.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly where people like Ocean Impact Organization come in. And we're certainly already in talks with the Incubation Network about how we can uh, assist from our part of the world down here in Australia. Tell us a little bit about your career leading up to establishing circulate capital and uh, and what it is again that makes you really realize that this is the place that you, Rob, can be investing your time, energy, and passion in order to reach your your ultimate career objectives
2: yeah well i've actually uh, and we sort of skipped over this part earlier, but I've been working in the ocean and going to the ocean for most of my life. I grew up going to the beach every summer in Massachusetts. Um, and didn't really appreciate it until it was gone. Once I moved to Kentucky and Arkansas, which are in the middle of America, uh, both uh, figuratively and physically, um, it uh, you know the absence of the of the sea and the ocean was pretty clear to me. And uh, spent a lot of time trying to get back to it every year. Uh, the I and mean, I actually you know started my career in the public policy space, working for ocean issues out of Washington, D.C. Um, I helped launch an organization called Oceana. I did a lot of work in um, uh, bycatch issues and raising awareness on uh, fisheries and marine protected areas in the U.S. I mean, got really interested over the course of that work on the disconnect between the private sector and the public interest. And it felt to me that even though there was an alignment in objectives, uh, they were speaking different languages. And uh, from my side on the progressive side of politics in the US, our solution to engaging with the private sector was we should go out and hire a Republican consulting firm because nobody in our team knew how to actually talk to business leaders. And so that's why I sort of got interested in this space and uh, went back to business school with that idea of transitioning to the private sector. I I spent about 10 years in large corporates. I was um, in the beverage industry in the U.S. And then I went to Walmart, where uh, I led sustainability initiatives there, including some supply chain innovation and partnership and investment programs, as well as sustainable packaging globally. Um, And this sort of connection between uh, the causes that I believe in and making the case for that, not just from the policy side, but also on the private sector side is really what had driven me throughout all of my career. Um, And when the opportunity came about to do this work, I found myself in a unique situation where I understood how to harness the power of some of these corporations. I've been working with them. They were my peers, they were my suppliers for a number of years. And I felt like I was in a unique place to both um, engage with them and deliver a program that could meet their needs but also make a, a tangible difference in plastic pollution in this region which is you know the absolute goal and I felt like I was the only one who could do it and that's why we launched circulate capital great and, and so obviously- move my, moved my family around the world to from New York to uh, Singapore much to my
0: mother-in-law's chagrin yeah I was about to ask that question this is obviously a huge personal and family commitment for you to to move to the region in order for, for Circulate Capital to, to, to make its biggest impact. Um, what has that been like to date? Obviously, the world is in a, in a pretty um, crazy state right now in July 2020. What's it been like? Uh, it's definitely surreal uh, watching what's
2: happening in the US and around the world from kind of the bubble of Singapore. Um, in many ways, it's disconcerting to be so far away from family and friends who are dealing with sort of uh, existential crisis for America right now. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a, a good place for us to have with our family. And um, the adventure that we signed up for last year is a little bit different than the adventure that we're having. But uh, that's true for everybody in the world right now.
0: Um, so we're trying to keep the, the right perspective on it. Mm, indeed. And so you mentioned that obviously the strategic location of Circulate Capital being in Singapore to service South and Southeast Asia. Tell us a little bit about why that is uh, in the context of the problem that you're trying so desperately to address.
2: Yeah. Well, I mentioned that, you know, uh, this is the region where most of the plastic gets into the ocean. And uh, right now, I think there's, and this is out of date, so it's probably an underestimate, but 300 million tons of plastic in the ocean. It grows by about 8 million tons every year. That's the same as a garbage truck full of plastic backing up to the ocean and dumping every minute. So it's um, a pretty significant challenge. Um, you know, it, it affects marine ecosystems, it affects wildlife. Um, the problem is is uh, urgent and, and pretty disgusting, to be honest. You don't have to watch too many of these videos to, to get really upset about it. Um, And, you know, the interesting thing about it is if we look at places like Australia or the US or Europe, um, we have had growth over a hundred year period to get to this point. And we had the opportunity over that slow period, a long amount of time, to be able to invest in our own waste and recycling infrastructure. And it's far from perfect, but we don't have the same kind of litter problem that much of the emerging markets where we work do. Um, And it's a function of, you know, rapid economic development in a very short, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, um, and infrastructure investments in these sectors haven't had an opportunity to keep up. But there's a huge opportunity now um, in India, in Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand to leapfrog. Um, they don't have to build waste and recycling infrastructure like we have in Australia that's really based on landfilling, right, landfilling first. Uh, And we have the opportunity now to kind of go from landlines to cell phones in these markets to think about a circular economy. And, you know, COVID has really shown us that investing in those local economies and supply chains are critical uh, for the economic health and resilience of our communities. And uh, I think we'll start to see uh, more and more capital flowing in that direction over the coming years as we as we start to get out of this this challenge that we're in.
0: You mentioned before that uh, a lot of the interest from the commercial backers of the project are uh, looking at supply chain, which would obviously allude to then the uh, adoption of circularity into those supply chains. Um, where are we at now with that in terms of the the appetite across the market for post-consumer recycled material in those supply chains? Um, do we see situations like COVID and, a, and, a, and an oil price that dropped through the floor as being a real barrier to progress in that area. Uh, what are you picking up?
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know. there's no question that COVID plus the oil pricing crisis has um, caused a shockwave through the recycling industry. Um, this recycling industry has felt these kinds of shockwaves in the past. Um, it's not uh, uh, unusual to have this type of boom and bust cycle. Um, the, uh, Reality right now is we're seeing a lot of recycling companies go out of business. There's a lot of pain in the industry. Um, you know, It's hard to make a profit doing it the same way you've been doing it. Um, and the companies that are best in class, that have built really strong businesses and understand what their feedstock is and have strong relationships with both their suppliers and their customers are able to weather the storm. Um, and those are the types of companies we're investing in across the region. Um, but you know, it, it is uh, a challenge. And as we sat down with our, our corporate partners, the ones who are looking to buy that recycled content, um, when COVID started ramping up, we said, you know, this is your capital. What do you, what do you want us to do with it? And the feedback was resounding, you know, keep going, double down on this strategy. Um, yeah, COVID slowing some things down in 2019, 2020. Um, but we're going to be back on track in 2021 and, uh, uh, we need these companies building and processing and recycling plastics so that we can meet our own targets um, and so you know it takes twelve to eighteen months sometimes to get some of these recycling facilities
0: online and up to scale so we're still on 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 the right path here. you mentioned the ten to fifteen percent of businesses that uh, you approach or approach you as being sort of in that sweet spot and you know, eighty five to ninety that aren't quite there yet. Um, What is some advice and guidance that you might be willing to offer for those entrepreneurs and innovators that maybe are in that 85 to 90%? uh, What can they be doing and working on to make sure they're getting to that sweet spot as quickly as possible?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, engaging with organizations such as yours um, and other ones that are helping provide resources and capacity building would be the first piece of advice I'd give, which is you know, don't do this alone. This is a topic that a lot of people care a lot about and um, there's a lot of resources out there to take advantage of, to help you get there. Um, and then when you start thinking about raising capital, make sure you know why you're doing it and what you're giving up. Uh, and if you don't have to do it, don't. Uh, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs think the first thing they got to do is go raise a seed round and what we found is some of the most exciting businesses are those that, that bootstrapped it first and focused on uh, profitability and, and built businesses that are ready to scale because they have a business model that works rather than one that's just backed by venture capital and trying to figure it out as they go. And it just depends on the sector you're in and, and what types of, of uh, returns you think you can generate for investors. But it's, it's, a, it's a complicated conversation and not one to take
0: lightly. Mm. So even just to drill down into that point a little bit further, maybe talk to those couple of companies um, that you have invested in in 2020, uh, and what was it about those particular businesses that just made them so ripe for for your involvement? So uh, Treaty Oasis is an exciting
2: recycling company in Indonesia. They're in Tangerang, just outside of Jakarta, and it's founded by two inspiring female entrepreneurs who. Um, One's more of a business consulting type person, and the other uh, is an engineer, and she literally engineered her first recycling line from scratch. These two women got together and said, we think we can make a difference in plastic pollution in our community. Let's do this. And they created a recycling business um, that is profitable today. Uh, They're buying plastic bottles from the informal sector, and they've built really strong relationships with those waste pickers and aggregators. And then they're um, cleaning and flaking that PET uh, and selling it into mostly Europe, actually, uh, for uh, um, a profit. This is a company that, you know, is just on the verge of becoming a really scalable model. And so what we found with them is a company that we can work with. It's a team that's we want to back. And we'll work together over the next year or two to come up with what that 10, 20, $30 million growth strategy looks like. Um, And so we put in a small amount of capital today to help them get started. Um, In India, uh, we invested in a company called Lucro, which is outside of Mumbai. And this company is interesting in that they uh, were a plastic products company. They're selling most of their plastic products into the automobile uh, industry. And uh, they kind of just started using recycled material as part of their own manufacturing process for efficiency sake, like industrial scraps, cutting room floor scraps, things like that. And uh, realized that they had a real um, technical expertise that they had built on using plastic film as a feedstock for their plastic products. And they were actually more limited by their ability to manufacture plastic products than they were on their ability to manufacture recycled pellets or granules. And so we've invested in them to scale up their recycling capacity so that they can procure more post-consumer plastic films, which by the way, is a type of plastic that most people will leave behind. But this company Lucro said, well, nobody else wants it. Let's see if we can turn it into a a profitable feedstock. And that um, we're now investing in them to help them scale that up so they can sell recycled granules to other plastic manufacturers across India.
0: Fantastic. Those two very clear and tangible uh, examples that can allow people out there who are listening in, perhaps of that entrepreneurial mindset, um, getting a bit of a picture about what is appealing uh, to Circulate Capital's Ocean Fund. Now, uh, Rob, we've had plenty of uh, interactions over the years at various international conferences. um, We first met in DC at the 2016 Our Ocean Conference. Um, what are you finding as we now step into 2020 and beyond that's happening at that international level the the meeting of stakeholders to tackle this problem how do you uh how do you describe it now versus what you've seen over the last uh five or so years Yeah, well, you kind of
2: noted it earlier the intensity and or popularity of this topic of plastic pollution has just been exponentially increased over the last five years. When you and I first met, I think that might've been the first time that plastics had gotten on the main stage at the Our Ocean Conference. And now it's, you know, a key part of it. And uh, everybody's kind of gotten into the mix. So back in those days, there weren't a lot of folks working in the space. Now every major NGO um, policymaker has some kind of position on plastic. Uh, And they're you know, everyone's working on it, uh, which is very exciting. Um, It also means it's um, gotten more complicated right? With more stakeholders having their own views. Um, I think it's also gotten a little more political. One of the things that's exciting about plastic pollution, from my perspective, as much as it can be a positive thing, is that there's nobody really in favor of plastic pollution, right? If you look at other major environmental issues, you've always got sort of people for and against the solutions. In plastic, even the plastic companies don't want their product in the environment. And they've committed massive amounts of capital themselves and energy to trying to solve the problem in their own ways. Um, so you've got this unique opportunity of alignment. It kind of reminds me of, of where climate, stories of where climate change was back in the 80s and 90s when there was scientific consensus and nobody was really concerned about whether we should fight it or not. It was really a question of how. And since then, it's become politicized and much more challenging. Uh, So we're at a unique point here where I always encourage folks working in those dialogues to say it's not about my solution versus your solution, what it needs to be about is, you know, both and. How do we do all of it? Because we're not going to recycle our way out of this problem, and we're not going to reduce our way out of this problem. We need to find solutions that that do all of them. Um, And there's plenty of plastic pollution to go around. So, uh, you know, every little bit helps.
0: Absolutely. I mean at certain times of um of the year with this being you know plastic free July is a, is a campaign that has grown in prominence a lot in uh, in recent years it does open up this conversation about the the different ends of the spectrum of of the sort of argument against the problem and and many people having a a radical and a fundamental view there um from your side what do you think about the the more radical activism that tries to really um, stop the problem, sort of by an all means, necessary uh, type attitude?
2: Um, Well, you know, I'm a pragmatist. I've been plagued by this my whole life, (laughs) right? It's why I got out of Washington DC in the first place. Uh, I'm more about, you know, where we can make progress today um, than what's the perfect solution for tomorrow. Uh, I've been working on this stuff for too long to, you know, be just focused on the ideal and more focused on the pragmatic solutions. And that's like, that's where I see my role. Um, but I, you know, have great respect for activists who are committing and arguing for um, ex- as extreme as possible solutions because that makes room for the pragmatic solutions as well. Uh, because, you know, you, can't, you know, can't have one really without the other. Uh, and so I think the, the trick is, you know, there's a spectrum of activity and you need folks working on every side of that spectrum
0: yeah and this is where I think um obviously i'm a, a recent um, a recent supporter of this business driven uh, approach i think I, I I was born quite a bit out of the um, of the more radical side of things, and really that was i suppose it felt like a necessary reaction to a problem that wasn't being spoken about, but with this incredible growth in in the sector and the awareness. Now comes this incredible opportunity, which in many ways, you are spearheading, which is, well, if we're going to solve this problem, we are going to do this through um, through through business, through big business and through shifting as much money as possible into the future that we want to see. And that's really what you're doing so well. So what does success look like for you? If you could foresee in five or 10 years time, what do you see Circulate Capital having achieved and and yourself personally?
2: Yeah. Well, we have um, you know, a pretty clear set of success factors because the way we've structured this as an investment fund, um, it's a 10-year fund. That means we have to deploy all the capital within the first five years and generate an IRR within the next five years, over 10 years total. And so that's really our target is to show that this is an investment uh, model that can work in a sector that can drive those returns. Um, and then you know, go out and raise more capital. Right, uh hopefully not wait ten years to do it. Uh, do it a lot sooner than that, but uh you know the, like i said the there's this gap there's a, a missing middle between uh, investors in this sector where the large institutional capital is waiting on the sidelines, so success for me is catalyzing that capital and doing that at the micro level within our fund, but then at the macro level as we start to see more more people getting in getting in this sector alongside us
0: yeah, and that to me is a Really exciting prospect to, to see in the next few years, uh, more and larger funds emerge to attract the best, brilliant innovators and minds out there to tackle these solutions head on. Uh, anything today that you thought we wanted to talk about, Rob, that we haven't quite addressed yet? It's been a wonderful chat, but I want to hear any other thought bubbles that are coming to your mind. Uh, no, it's been a
2: great chat, Tim. It's good to see you. The uh, As we've been talking here, and I've just been reflecting a little bit on some of the themes we're talking about, uh, and one that just really hits home to me is just the importance of collaboration, right? What your organization is doing, uh, what our organization is doing, but and everybody in between on how do we really collaborate um, to create more investment opportunities, right? Uh, More entrepreneurs, more startups that can attract capital, um, and then folks who want to put that capital to work. So I would just encourage more collaboration, as, po- as much collaboration as possible. If folks want to find us, um, you know, we're on Twitter, we're, we're on LinkedIn, we're at circulatecapital.com i always interested to find new investment opportunities if, you've, if you think you've got a, a company that's looking for it or, um, or folks who are looking to put capital to work and trying to uh, engage with another investor um, who has some expertise in this space and is looking to bring others along. Uh, we welcome all those types of conversations.
0: Thank you so much, Rob. We couldn't agree more that it's about collaboration and partnerships because the problems are broad and significant, and it's going to take all of us working together to try and solve them. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, Rob, and keep up the fantastic work. Thanks, Tim.
2: Have a great afternoon.